UFOs, Bigfoot, paranormal input. Go ahead now, get mystical. Mystery and magical. UFOs, not typical. Bigfoot, not typical. You ask me why I'm skeptical. I say questions are questionable. Is the truth alien to you? Alien to get my message through. Aliens might message you. Aliens are sliding through. The wild signal we're plotting to. Algorithms they find is true. Typical. Skeptic. Shut Got no time for no petty germs, pandemic, a pandemic turn, horror still in Amityville, Bayonet in Gettysburg, Mothman, TNT, Factory, Red Eyes, Blue Dog Man, howling in the street, I'm typically skeptic of what I see, Voodoo Hoodoo in New Orleans, Thunderbird, Swamp Thing, is it real, I was wondering, typical, skeptic, show, typical, skeptic, show. Hey guys, welcome back to the Typical Skeptic Podcast. I have a really fascinating guest with me today. I have with me the author of the book. His new book is called Dark Matter Monsters, Cryptids, Ball Lightning, and the Science Behind Secret Life Forms. And who I have with me is Dr. Simeon Hine, and he's, he's holding up the book now. He's the director of the Nonprofit Institute for the Resonance Center in Boulder, Colorado. The Institute was devoted to study the subtle energy sciences, including remote viewing, crop circles, and related subjects. Dr. Hine has a PhD in sociology and has previously taught research and methodology at Washington State University. Dr. Hine first started learning remote viewing in 1996 and subsequently became involved in crop circle research. And he believes that all crop circles, regardless of their origin, create energetic effects by their virtue of their shape and subtle interaction between humans, plants, and sacred geometry. In addition to assistance in the Institute of Residence Crop Circle Tours, he continues to offer online remote viewing classes. Simeon's most recent book is called, oh, this one was before, The Black Swan Ghost. The sociologist encounters witnesses in an unexplained aerial craft, their occupants, and the elements in the multiverse. And I want to give him a big welcome to the show. Dr. Hine, thank you for joining me. How are you? Hey, Robert, thanks very much for having me today. Thanks for the introduction. Um, so take me through your first books and like, how did, how did you get interested in this field? Obviously, you, you always had an interest in remote viewing. Right. My first book was Opening Minds, and I wrote that book after uh, encountering remote viewing and crop circles within a relatively short period of time. Opening Minds, A Journey of Extraordinary Encounters, Crop Circles, and Resonance. And in uh, that book, uh, I described how there may be a very important principle in physics called resonance, which was studied by a uh, German physicist, the father of acoustics, Ernst Florence Friedrich Chladni, uh, uh, you know, two, 200 years ago. And uh, he discovered that patterns and frequency and sound are related that sound can form coherent patterns and coherent patterns can create sound. And it's known in the modern time as cymatics. And so studying RV and crop circle showed me that there was this fundamental principle of resonance that is important to us. And that can, it's real enough to create your perception of non-local information, distant people, places, and events that we know as remote viewing. And also it's strong enough to have electrical and magnetic effects that we could see in our cameras and batteries uh, in the UK when we studied and visited crop circles. So that was really fascinating to see that a material that you normally think of as being inert 
wheat, wheat stalks, if they're arranged in a pattern, would repeatedly affect cameras and batteries and so forth, which I saw. First, I just heard stories about it. And obviously, you know, like you, you're sort of like, is this a story or is it really happening? Is it what people are saying or is it really happening? But we, we saw it for ourselves after a while. Our cameras would stop working. They would just not function properly. Batteries would drain. Even uh, electronic circuits would melt in these crop circles uh, inexplicably. Uh, so it showed us there was an energetic effect to the crop circles. And it, it was my introduction to this whole area of resonance, physics of resonance. This is so interesting. So if you had to break it down in layman's terms, who's responsible for the crop circles? Do you think it's a phenomenon? I mean, like, and then how does it all relate to like your newest book, how you written about cryptids? Like, do they, does it all relate the paranormal? It's all based. It's all based on resonance. It's that every object, according to quantum mechanics, everything has a frequency. Um, it's not metaphysics. This is what quantum mechanics tells us is that frequency is a function of uh, Planck's constant uh, divided into wavelength, I believe. And uh, uh, so we already live in a universe where everything has a frequency is defined by Planck's constant. And that explains all these phenomena up and down the spectrum. Everything we call paranormal is a type of resonance. It's just maybe a resonance we're not all that familiar with. Even the crop circles, the ones that are man-made have resonance too. Uh, I'm not sure that the original ones going back earlier than the 80s and 90s, those have really strange explanations for them. They could be caused by plasma vortexes and... uh, uh, whirlwinds and ufos because in black swan ghosts i do have a witness who saw not wheat but meadows getting flattened by a disc up in usk washington area as it left and it swooped down over the ground and it was serious enough that the military came up from spokane from the air force base there so this was a real event Uh, she documented the the military presence there just within a few hours of the sighting. So something really happened there. But she said the plants were as flat as a pancake, 90 degrees bent. It's not that the craft smushed them down. The energy field of the craft as it went over caused the plants just to fold over. And they don't and break either, you, right? They, 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 there's that? no damage to these crops, right? No, no, they're just bent over. They'll regrow back in the right position it's not like they're microwaved or something you know i spoke to a guy once who had tried making them with a microwave uh at texas a&m they originally came up with this idea he told me as a way of maybe mowing the grass if they could use a microwave uh instead of cutting it so they created a microwave they dragged it over the ground and he said it just killed the crops it's not what you see in crop circles uh the the, the plants are still living and it's, again, another type of resin effect. Now, even I've made them with groups of people. We paid the farmer. We've, we even did it once in Washington State where the farmer helped out. We think it's the only formation that we know of where the farmer made it with us. And we were just doing it to see what would happen. And even some of our formations, not, not that one in Washington, we've detected really strange effects on cameras afterwards. So what does that indicate? It says that Ernst Kolodny was correct. 
you know, in the 1800s when he was going around with his violin bow on a metal plate showing that frequencies could create these standing wave patterns and very organized structures called solitons. These are waves that are so consistent that the material looks like it's standing still. We call that a standing wave. It's so a wave of energy, but it's canceling out in a way that it forms a coherent pattern. So do you think that there's a, this is a little bit deep of a question, but it sounds like you go deep into this research. Do you think that, uh, and you have to excuse me, I was just sick. I'm getting over being sick, but uh, no I, problem. I, I'm, so, do, do you think that the, a lot of this paranormal is, is something that's being thought up by the collective? Like it's a, uh, it's, it's like that we're, we're forming UFOs somehow with our mind. I'm sure you've heard this theory before, right? No, I think, I think it's the opposite of that, Robert. I think we're dealing with frequencies and coherent types of energy that we're just not very familiar with as Western people. We, we assume that we're like the height of technological sophistication. Look at all these gadgets we have. Just to be out here in this area to broadcast remotely like this requires a mess of gadgets to connect to the cell tower for power, for the internet, for, you know. And so we assume this is as good as it gets, right? This is the assumption that the elect, we're in this like information age. And this is why I wrote my dissertation about decades ago, that we have more information than ever. But there's also another possibility is that we're losing information. And as the more we progress technologically, at least so far, the more we're forgetting about nature's technology. These principles that I'm talking about is how nature already works. And all of our electronic technology is just tapping into principles of electromagnetism and quantum principles that already exist. We didn't invent quantum mechanics. We discovered it. None of our electronics that we're around right now would work without some of these quantum tunneling effects and so forth that are the basis of electronics. But we didn't create quantum tunneling. It's just the way nature works. So my view of these paranormal phenomena all the way up to UFOs, and I'm not saying that they're just some sort of uh, something at the periphery of our reality. What I'm suggesting is that these are different frequencies of energy that we're not very familiar with. So we call them paranormal. And paranormal, as Lou Elizondo has pointed out many times, means next to. Para means next to. So parachute is a chute that's next to you. Paramedics are medics that are nearby. They're paramedics. And paranormal is other aspects of reality that seem really strange to us, but that's just because we don't understand it very well. And let me give you a quick example of something that we would find hard to believe, but it's true. Uh, again, 200 years ago, around the time of Ernst uh, Kolodny, he was the one who actually investigated this. Uh, people didn't know what meteorites were. They thought they were a thing of peasant folklore. Does that sound familiar? Peasant folklore, yeah. swamp gas. Uh, they thought they were weather balloons or something. I'm, I'm kind of kidding, but they just thought there's no way that stones can fall out of the sky. There are no stones in the sky. They didn't know about anything in the universe that we know now beyond the moon. And they said there's nothing beyond the moon because Aristotle had said this 2,000 years before. So there was this idea there could be no meteorites because there could be nothing falling from the sky. So they said those had to be volcano stones, stones that were uh, thrown out of a volcano or perhaps when lightning would hit. Okay, so there was a huge debate in the French Academy of Sciences over meteorites, and they finally decided they were a hoax, and they threw them all away from the museums until 
there was a night where a couple thousand fell around the town of Eagle, France. And there is a book uh, written by Jean-Baptiste Biot and Kaladny, who I mentioned a while ago, who actually was the father of acoustics, he got into this too. And they said, look, the pattern of these meteorites is such that they have to be coming from the sky from a great height, the way they're falling on the ground in an elliptical pattern. They're doing basic research. And all of a sudden the viewpoint changed and meteorites went from being something that was supernatural or strange or unexplainable to just being something coming out of the sky. And we're going through that same type of debate right now with UFOs and extraterrestrials, in my view. It's history repeating itself with a different set of facts. So what I'm pointing out to you here is that everything new and different has always seemed strange and either supernatural or paranormal or considered to be a hoax. But in the end, these topics turn out to be very real because our view of the universe is too limited. It's based yeah. on this narrow materialistic paradigm that we got from Descartes and Newton. And we haven't really revised it in a couple hundred years. We've had three, 400 years to revise it and we haven't done so yet, but we're getting there. I mean, we're slowly getting there. And to, to look beyond the mechanistic paradigm, and then this is going back to opening minds, a book that I wrote 20 years ago to this year, actually 20 years ago, uh, there is a whole range of phenomena that are non-mechanistic that work by resonance. And that is why I wrote Dark Matter Monsters. These cryptid accounts that we have of Bigfoot and Dogman and these other creatures, uh, the phenomena you see in there is not explainable by conventional science. It's another set of resonant principles because there's a ball lightning and orbs seen around these creatures which are also seen around crop circles, seen around UFOs, uh, seen around cold fusion experiments, by the way, too, also called low energy nuclear reaction. These are all resonant type reactions. So in dark matter monsters, I argue, and the reason I put uh, ball lightning in the subtitle is I argue that we're dealing with a type of coherent matter and their life forms on earth right now that are more evolved than we are in some ways. I'm not saying they're necessarily better at math and physics, but they're naturally better at so harnessing some of nature's deep physics principles having to do with electromagnetism, coherency, and resonance. And this is why you see Bigfoot holding balls of light, emerging from balls of light, even occasionally throwing balls of light at people. That is not some hot plasma that's gonna burn you if it gets near you, I don't think. It's another type of coherent matter, which is cold to the touch, just like ball lightning. Ball lightning, uh, it's a rare phenomenon, but people have seen it in your state. I have witnesses in dark matter monsters from uh, the Pennsylvania area, from and Pennsylvania. You, you worked with Stan Gordon, right? Or you, you, no, but it's an excellent example. It's I, a book I'm rereading. I love Stan Gordon, yeah. That, it, I saw Stan Gordon decades ago at the International UFO Congress in Laughlin, Nevada, way before COVID, when we had conferences in person, you'd all show up there, be a lot of fun for a week. Now, I got this book from him quite a while ago. I think this is published around at least 10 years ago, right? Yeah. And uh, 2010. Yeah. I didn't know how to make sense of it, Robert. I'm sure the audience can appreciate it. Why would you see UFOs around Bigfoot? And not just Bigfoot, but a whole range of other creatures that the witness is describing here. When I first read this book, I got it 
at the conference about 10 years ago. And uh, when I first read this, I didn't, I didn't have how to process the information. But now that we have a framework from Cold Fusion Leonard that talks about coherent matter and orbs and ball lightning forming naturally, just how nature works when you get electro-nuclear collapse. Uh, it's how black holes work and neutron stars. If you had this happening on Earth, it creates new types of matter, liberates a lot of energy. And this would explain why these cryptids are so darn fast, why they're able to cloak and able teleport. to vanish in front of you. And even Stan Gordon says in the book, people shot at them and they disappeared in a flash of light because they're not completely in our reality. It's a So what I'm arguing in Dark Matter Monsters is taking Stan Gordon's excellent book, Silent Invasion. He has a new one too, by the way, about cryptids. What's the theory behind this? Because he has a ton of evidence in here. It's great reading one case after the other, but my explanation would be, and I'm open to be proved wrong, if this isn't what it is, is we're dealing with a life form that is, knows how to interact with coherent matter and generate coherent matter, which gives them extraordinary amounts of energy for speed, cloaking, transmutation. This is why you get the smell of sulfur around them. Sulfur is when you transmute oxygen, it combines oxygen 16 to sulfur 32. This is why people smell sulfur around these cryptids. So to answer your question, I mean, just going back to the beginning, I think these topics are all related and People like Stan Gordon are saying, look, you don't just get UFOs by themselves. Sometimes you get them with cryptids or you don't just get the cryptids by themselves. You get them around UFOs because we're looking into a sort of another, another reality. It's like, Robert, if we change the channel on our old style TVs, when I grew up, TVs had like this dial and you switched them over. You're changing the channel. It's not a whole new reality it's another channel on the set that you didn't tune into before like one of those uhf stations remember oh the old tvs had vhf and uhf i remember and that UH, yeah yeah the uhf were like these hard to get channels sometimes they were in a foreign language and you'd really have to tune them in it wasn't like the main channels when you go six to seven to nbc to abc to cbs you'd go to uhf and late at night you get kind of adventurous this would be way before internet <laughs> Do you, you remember the to... movie UHF with Weird Al? Do you remember that? No, no. Oh, it's an amazing movie. Yeah, Weird Al made a movie called UHF about that, where he had like, uh, you know, he's it's obviously a comedy where he played does like public access programming on the UHF station, and he turns it into a big, you know, it's it's hilarious. It's it's definitely funny. It's it's a funny one to, to see for sure. Well, but... then you get what I'm saying is that UHF was kind of an adventure, and I'm saying these phenomena, rather than run away from them, we've had far too many witnesses. Uh. I'm working on it. I just interviewed a witness and I'm going to put her interview up on my YouTube channel, which people can find it. Just put Simeon Hine in on YouTube. Uh, she described seeing 50 years ago at a Smithsonian archaeology dig in California. The creature touched her face through the side of the tent and there were two people per tent. She thought it was the guy next to her getting, you know, trying to get a little cozy with her, but he, he was sleeping. And his hands were not anywhere near her. She felt it stroking her face. Everyone jumped out of their tent. And they saw a creature nine foot tall, black hair and glowing eyes. I said, was it reflecting light from like your Coleman lantern or the moon? And she said, no, there was no light. It was dark. It was glowing. 
to me, that suggests these creatures have their own energy source, an internal energy source, or they're able to transmute chemical elements in a way that, you know, creates light, generates photons. So that is a very different energy process than we're familiar with. We could call it paranormal. I'm just saying in dark matter monsters that this is very similar to what we know from cold fusion liner. Uh, researchers like Takiyaki Matsumoto from Japan, who was censored, by the way, for getting interested in ball lightning to explain cold fusion. He described this as a type of miniature black hole electro nuclear collapse. Alexander Parkhamov uh, in former Soviet Union, Russia, many Russian researchers and others who've said it's a type of cl charge cluster uh, compression. Ken Shoulders from the U.S. It's a type of these these types of energy forms are when you get a charge cluster and it's really compressed, it forms another type of matter where the particles are macroscopically quantumly entangled. Uh, this is not jargon. It's technically what's going on. The particles are at the same frequency, same temperature, and it forms another state of matter and it goes all the way down to the zero point. Uh, I was going to ask, what do you think yeah. this is about what our reality is then? Like, what kind of reality are we living in? Like, you know, how people say we're in a matrix or this could be some yeah. kind of simulated reality. Do you think your your research points to that? Or do you think we're in more like a biological? No, we are in a TV. We're in a TV with different channels. <laughs> That's what it seems like, right? It's not simulated. It's real. This is, I try to convince people of this and they try to say, no, it's coming from you. It's a simulation. No. These creatures are as real as you and me. We're the ones that seem paranormal to them. Uh, just like when you encounter ghosts, you could seem like a ghost to them. In their reality, they might seem like solid and you seem like the peripheral phantom. Uh, the type of reality we're living in, I studied this for several years, and I'm convinced that it's some variation of parallel realities, multiverses. And I think this is going to be the biggest shock to humans over the next coming years and decades. You know, Robert, if you look back through the history and history of science, we've gone through these major transformations going from the time when we thought we were the center of the universe. I was, we were just talking about the Aristotelian point of view where um, everything was focused on the earth and, you know, the church and Galileo, uh, Aristotle said, there's nothing beyond the moon. It doesn't move out there. I mean, there are these planets on these spheres, but nothing's happening out there. It's all fixed. We're the center of everything. We went from that to realizing from the work of Copernicus and Galileo and Giordano Bruno, who was burned at the stake, partly for these reasons, by the Vatican, uh, to realizing that we're not the center at all that we're just one or kind of another planet out there in a bigger solar system in a, in a galaxy with, you know, millions and billions of other galaxies. It's getting bigger by the day. We've got the James Webb telescope that just launched, which is showing us these deeper out to the, you know, the universe. Well, I'm using the same analogy here. It's not just that it goes on and on forever in space time in our universe. I'm saying in the same space we're in, there are other realities. You could call them shadow worlds or mirror universes, mirror worlds. And 
this is not a new idea. It goes back even earlier than the modern era to, uh, to, um, to uh, Dirac, Paul Dirac, the physicist, who eventually I was going to say, like, I, I think John Keel and Jacques Vallée thought that there might be parallel realities as well, right? Right. And, and John Keel is one of the books I read as a teenager. It's the Mothman Prophecies. So I guess I've been thinking about this since I was a teenager. Um, but uh, Paul Dirac said that there were particles that we couldn't see. I mean, he said it just fell out of the quantum equations, antiparticles. Uh, Hugh Everett III at Princeton in 1950s, a graduate student of John Archibald Wheeler, very well-known famous physicist who, you know, trained Richard Feynman, uh, that uh, Hugh Everett III suggested that there were parallel realities. Again, it, it's not, they weren't basing this on evidence like you and I are on looking at Stan Gordon's book and other books like this. They were basing it just on quantum mechanics. They said, look, you can't get any wave function collapse. You've heard this idea that reality is only the way it looks when you're looking at it because you're collapsing this quantum wave function. We've all heard of this Copenhagen interpretation of reality, but there's another way to look at it, which you ever pointed out. It's not that the wave function's collapsing, you're receding every second from the particular reality you're in into other branches and other versions of the quantum wave function. And there are other parallel realities. Now, Everett said he didn't think these realities could interact, that they were separate. We would never interact with them. But he did suggest that there were other ones where you are observing a different version of what's going on. So let's just think about that for a second. We're not talking fantasy. We're not talking science fiction. Everett was saying this is how the quantum wave function works out mathematically is that their branches and that you're in all the branches or the way I look at it is the reason that you're, we're only seeing one branch right now, this one, or the, you know, we're in the same one right now is you're moving through them and your consciousness is slicing and dicing them up into slices. You're only seeing, seeing one slice at a time. The paranormal what we call paranormal are other branches of the quantum wave function that normally we don't let ourselves see. And if it intrudes into our, our reality, you know, it seems to cause a big deal. But to me, that is just other aspects of the quantum wave function that we're just less familiar with. Yeah. And In other words, like, well, parallel realities. That's what I'm saying there. And when we experience these realities, like when people get close to a Bigfoot or when they go into a crop circle, they have like missing time, balls of light, watches stopping, like weird stuff happens, right? Thank you. Thank you. Exactly. And I've seen this myself in crop circles many times. In Dark Matter Monsters, I have a story of the guy that introduced me to crop circles, Ron Russell from the Denver area. I went with him on a tour in 1997. Uh, and I kept going back every year since. And even until COVID hit, I was doing crop circle tours over there to bring people over there to see this for themselves, the cameras and batteries and all the weird effects that happened. He had an experience where he went out to, back from the crop circle to get more film for his camera back in the days when we used physical film. On the way, he encountered people that were speaking another type of English that he couldn't understand. He, it sounded like old English to him, like 500 year old English. They wow. were dressed in a funny way. And 
he felt like he had been gone for a half an hour or maybe an hour. And when he got back, the people said he had only been gone for five minutes. So he had that space-time distortion around a crop circle. And he was experiencing exactly parallel right. realities, right? He was. That he was... is what I think is going on. It's the best your conscious mind can do with encountering parallel realities. It has a, a loss of, of, of time or a gain of time, something like that. It's a distortion. Now, we've all been programmed by our educational backgrounds, you and me and everyone listening, to think that time is very linear. It's very smooth. And that anytime anyone has these experiences, maybe it's they're weird or something about them is different or again, it's supernatural. My explanation looking at this from a physics point of view is this is how reality works. There are these little bumps in space time. And if you hit one of them, you're going to have a space time uh, disruption, a, a space time slip. And people have encountered this. Have you, Robert, have you interviewed people on your show or know anyone who's like, gone somewhere in a restaurant or a hotel or a location. They tell people about it and the people say that doesn't exist anymore. That disappeared 20 years ago. Yeah, it's like a Mandela effect, right? Something like that. Have you interviewed people like that? Not, not yet. I, I mean, I've, I've interviewed, uh, I'm trying to think of his name, the author of the book Time Slips, uh, Von Brashler. So Von Brashler's had those kind of experiences There's, for okay. sure. Von Brass, Brassler? Yeah. Okay, so there's another guy, Tim Schwartz, who I participated. Oh, yeah, in. I've had him on my show, too. Yeah, he's cool. He has these stories like where people feel like they went back into a warp in space time in a city or someplace. They went to places that don't exist. They disappeared for a, a little while out of our reality into an older reality. I have talked to a couple of people this has happened to. And they tell me it's the weirdest thing you could ever experience. They uh, one woman was with her boyfriend and his brothers. They were swimming. They were water skiing at Lake Mead. This is a friend of mine who I converse with every, a couple times a week. She, they went back to the marina and the hotel and the little town that was there at Lake Mead. And they went in at night to what they thought was a bar. But there was something strange about this bar. It was only playing 80s music. It played a whole side of the Styx album from the 80s. And uh, the bartender insisted on just giving them free drinks and all this. They wake up in their rooms in the wrong beds. But that's all they know. They go downstairs back to the hotel and they say to the waitress, what's that weird bar that's over there? You know, they're always playing 80s music. You know, it's like, seems like old. And she said, it doesn't exist anymore. It was closed 20 years ago. Wow. And they said, no, we were, we were just in there. They go back out. Around the corner, not a very big town. It's not unlike me. And it's all dusty, chained up, just like she said. Wow. So one way to deal with this is to doubt the witnesses. This is what we typically do in our society. We doubt the witnesses. Uh, we try to find that there's something wrong with them, that they're confabulating, they're delusional, that they're making this up. Another way to look at it is to say what they experienced, all four of them, is what they experienced. How do we explain it? It's a time slip. It's a Tim Schwartz, Von Bassler. Is it Bassler? Yeah. Bassler, it's a time slip. And this is what you would expect if we lived in a multiverse is you'd be going along your particular reality track. And for some reason, there is a disruption, like a short circuit or something. And you end up on another path. 
one that would be considered past or maybe even future. And uh, you, you're kind of in that one for a while. And then you snap back to ours because, well, there's an order to the, the whole thing. And it snaps you back to this one. And you're here again. And that's how I see it. I see these are resonant phenomena that switch our channels to parallel versions. Now, does that seem like a mind stretch? Yeah, it is a mind stretch, but so are all these freaking phenomena like cryptids and Bigfoot and Dogman and UFOs and getting taken in UFOs and, and people and waking witness, up outside their homes. But uh, yeah, it's suppose the witnesses like really are, are are they don't want any recognition. They just want to get their story out a lot of times. Yeah. And a lot of times people are even reluctant to tell their story, right? Exactly. Uh, thank, let me just take a quick drink here. Yeah, I, I just... It's just amazing that like people no, are really probably. seeing this. Like it's all real. You know, this that's is, what I want to get out to my channel and, and get yeah. people to know that this is all really happening. It is really happening. And the more I re I guys, I have been in this since 1996. I got into fractal geometry and chaos theory uh in my doctoral dissertation. There is continuity here, but there was no UFOs or cryptids or crop circles in my dissertations. Believe me, it was just mathematical fractals. But it continued on to these topics. And these topics I've been studying intensively since 1997. It's 25 years. There's more evidence than ever. And what you just said a few moments ago is exactly why we don't know more about it. It's not a lack of evidence. It's a lack of willingness to listen to the witnesses. That's what we're dealing with here. People don't want to share their stories if they feel they're going to get ridiculed or stigmatized or criticized or accused of being crazy. And this came out in the UAP task force <laughs> report from the uh, it, uh, director of national intelligence UAP task force report, I think largely from the Pentagon, where they identified sociocultural stigma right at the beginning as a reason we don't know more about this. The Navy, guys, if the Navy figured this out, it's not very hard for the rest of us to figure this out. They're not sociologists. They're military people. It's a lack of evidence because we don't want to hear the evidence. Like, have you ever talked to airline pilots? You ever interview any of them or, you know, any airline pilots? Not I've yet. Not yet but I'm, I, I'm, I've known a bunch having lived in Boulder, Colorado, a hub for United. A lot of pilots live there. I've, I've gotten to know United pilots and Pilots that I know, many of them have had sightings. Uh, they're reluctant to talk about it once they're on the ground. They may, they may radio over to another plane 10, 15, 20 miles away. Say, do you see what I'm seeing at such a location? And they'll all see it, but they won't talk about it when they're on the ground because it could lead to negative consequences to your career. Again, that's what Black Swan Ghost is about. Every single case in that book, and Black Swan Ghost is all the different UFO witnesses I've encountered, including Louise Boves, who saw the disc hovering, you know, like a leaf, falling leaf pattern, and it takes off, flattens the, the meadow. All of these people you've mostly never heard of because of the stigma attached to it. I mean, one guy, Richard Hoover, Dr. Richard Hoover, NASA astrobiologist, he uh, said that NASA told him not to talk about his central idea which is that you find fossils of previously living organisms in meteorites carbonaceous meteorites that was so controversial in nasa 15 years ago that he quit 
he didn't want the pressure coming from the top, all the way down from the White House, he said. He asked who was pressuring them. It's a sociology topic. And as a sociologist, I can tell you, it's not just evidence. That, that's the flaw in the whole system. I think what I call in dark matter monsters, I call it a hole in science. Here's the problem. We assume that we have the scientific me method that's based on evidence and that we have cameras everywhere right now, right? Ability to record things. And people say, well, if it's so real, where's all the evidence? The reason we don't have all this evidence is the people who experience it are concerned about the consequences to their career or their social status. So they're very reluctant to come forward. Uh, we know this is true with the Navy because we had about 20, 25 witnesses come forward, perhaps from the Nimitz and Roosevelt and other incidents in the East and West Coasts from the aircraft carrier groups during their practice exercises. I, I but just as another example. What What's do you that? think? What do you think a lot of those are? Do you, I'm sorry, I'm interrupt. Do you think those some of those might be drones, or do you think those are all like uh, paranormal, extraterrestrial, uh, resonating with uh, what we don't know type stuff? Yeah, well, I'll answer that in a second. But what I was going to say, no, no, it's fine. No, it's good. It's a good question. Uh, did this witness that I'm just going to put up on my YouTube channel, Barbara? Uh, she heard me on another interview, like we're doing now, and she said she had never told anyone. And after 50 years, she decided that there was enough silence that she heard me talking about it. You see what, what it takes? She heard me talking about Bigfoot and she said, I have to tell the world what happened to the four of us out there in the archeology span dig sponsored by the Smithsonian Institution. They were on a military uh, practice area, a military range that you can't go on without special permission from the government. And they had it from the Smithsonian. And they had their Bigfoot encounter in the desert, not the woods, the desert. So she's coming forward now after 50 years. She just told me her story three days ago, and I'm going to edit it out and put it on YouTube. So this is what we're dealing with. It's not a question of the evidence in my view. And I think we're seeing this from the Nimitz and Roosevelt and Kearsage and Omaha and other incidents that we're dealing with something that has thousands of witnesses, but very few come forward because to put it mildly, Robert, it's not career enhancing. And I won't be career enhancing until the military says with a very firm commitment, your career will not be harmed by talking about what you saw. Now, what are people seeing out there in terms of the Nimitz and the Roosevelt, you know, the spheres, cubes within spheres. I mean, this is all very strange stuff. And if you listen to Ryan Graves and others who've talked about the cubes, the, the, the spheres, the cubes within spheres, I mean, he said they were able to stay up all day for hours and hours and moving fast and making sharp angle turns. They can only stay up. How long can they stay up in one of their F-18 attack jets before they need to refuel? Like an hour? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Not very long. Uh, they either need to be refueled in the air. I mean, they're burning fuels, you know, at like gallons per second. So something like that. So uh, they can't stay up like that. And he keeps every interview you listen with Ryan Graves, he goes, how do they stay up there for hours? They were up there every day we went up there. What are they? It, it could be really another civilization. It could be that there's another civilization here on Earth that is just very interested in what we do and is 
paying attention to us and tracking us in some way. The Nimitz incident, I mean, I interviewed Kevin Day on my YouTube channel. He was the chief radar operator for the Nimitz uh, task force, uh, the aircraft carrier group. And uh, what he said, and I still remember talking to him in Laughlin at the UFO Megacon, I believe it was 2019. He said uh, uh, they were up at 80,000 feet for a week. I mean, they were there for a week, he said. They were seeing them every day. And finally, he notices them dropping down. And he calls the commander of the fleet on the phone, which he has direct access to the commander as the chief radar operator, top gun trained radar operator. And he says, uh, commander, we need, we need to find out what these are. <laughs> They're in our practice range. It's a bit, you know, it's dangerous to have these. We're flying our planes out there at mock speeds. We don't want to have a collision. So they send out Fravor and uh, Dietrich to check out these objects. Neither of them were, you know, armed or anything. They had been just doing practice runs and they get this, they send out a third plane afterwards to get the footage that we've seen. Uh, they also sent out one of those Hawkeye eye in the sky you know, electronic detection uh, planes. And even according to Patrick Hughes, whose job it was, was it the E E2 Hawkeye, E3 Hawkeye, which one it was, but he said his job was to collect the radar bricks, the, the data bricks, the hard drives from this and put them in a secure vault as soon as the plane lands. He had a friend on board who said the Tic Tac approached the plane. It was flying alongside them uh he could see it out the window and and though they do have windows we looked it up they have windows someone said oh they don't have windows he's making it. no they have windows small windows but he could see it and they had the data but isn't it something robert we wonder why we don't know more about these topics well hello within half an hour of patrick saying he just come back to his room ready to take a shower he's off duty now he got the data bricks from the plane puts them in the secure vault. You need two guys to unlock it. Guys dressed in Air Force uniforms approach. The, his immediate uh, commanding officer knocks on the door, flanked by two guys from the Air Force. You can see from the uniforms, says, we want the data bricks. It's confiscated. We've never seen it again. They confiscated all the data from the Nimitz and the Princeton about those incidents. So when you're asking me, what are they? We don't know because we don't have the data. We have blurry video footage. The, at this point, the Navy said a couple of weeks ago in response to John Greenwald, we're not releasing any more videos. We didn't want to release the first three, but they're out now. Uh, according to Chris Mellon, he and Lou Elizondo snuck them out of the Pentagon. Those, Well, not physically, they downloaded them. They had the status within the organization to do that. But we don't know the answer to your question, Robert. Who Who is in these craft? Are they drones? Are they remotely piloted? Do they have occupants? We don't know because we don't have the data because the military won't release any of the footage for. And do you well, think, the, I think that the military needs to work with people like you so they get a better understanding. The science needs to meet the esoteric because you're doing Thank both. You. You're mixing real science with yeah. esoteric. And I like that, you know, the fact Thank that you're using, because you want evidence. You're like, yeah. you know, and I think that's amazing that you're doing that. Yeah, I, we want the evidence. I want the evidence. Everyone else wants the evidence. 
Look, I'm, I'm trained as a sociology, not a physicist, but I will tell you that the best evidence, you won't see it because until society gets together like they did with child abuse in the 60s, and they had two big meetings from experts around the country, law enforcement, radiologists, pediatricians, before they could agree that child abuse was happening. No one wanted to confront parents with accusation that they were abusing their kids. And they made up excuses for those broken bones and bruises that kids had. They said they were falling out of trees. They were oh, getting wow. in fights at school. They were getting picked on by bullies and all the other sort of intellectual alibis you could invent. It wasn't until they all got together in a room in Chicago and then a couple of years later in DC that they said, this is really happening. They looked at the x-rays, they got everyone together. All of a sudden overnight, child abuse becomes real. And it's something that you could legitimately diagnose when a child comes in with injuries and parents could be accused of doing this to their kids and pay the consequences. It's the same way with these topics. I can tell you this. It's the, and Ron West, West, Westrom from Eastern Michigan State uh, was the one that uh, discussed this years ago about child abuse and UFOs, how there's a similarity. Again, it's not just evidence. It's willingness to look at evidence seriously. And I can't see how anyone can be skeptical of this topic, irrationally skeptical, as long as the Navy says, well, we had 144 incidents UAP task force says this. We can only explain one. So that leaves 143 unexplained. You have to imagine there's some video and they're saying we're not sharing it anymore because of sources and methods. We yeah. can't figure out what's going on here until we have a national discussion. And again, I want to thank you for doing this interview and having an open mind. You know, as someone that's realistic, you're a realistic person about this. But you're open to new evidence. That's how I am. We have to be open to new evidence. Are we back 500 years ago before Copernicus and Galileo still thinking we're the literal center of the universe, which we now know is total fiction? Why do we want to hold on to these childhood fantasy stories that there isn't other life forms around us, whether it's cryptids or extraterrestrials or even indigenous life forms to the planet that we don't totally understand? Why would we want to hold on to those childhood stories? When we could be going forward now into a really big adventure to discover what's the real nature, what's really going on here. I think it's more interesting to have a real adult discussion. We have the technology to do this. We have ability to communicate with Zoom and we all have laptops now and even phones that are sophisticated laptops. We can communicate, do video like this, bring witnesses together. There's no excuse. It's time to really look at these topics and to have, uh, just like Lou Elizondo and Chris Mellon have said, just about UFOs in their case. It's time for a national discussion. Uh, we've got the evidence. We've got witnesses. And people are curious. Just look on Twitter. You see UFO Twitter trending in one or other topic. Every other day, you'll find something about UFOs trending up there temporarily. So that means there's interest. And uh, we've got the means to do it. So I think we should be, it's time to get over this childishness of just saying this is just supernatural and paranormal and we're not going to look at it. It's time. And uh, who was the one who said this? Oh, Robert Wood said this, I believe. Or was it uh, Robert Wood who worked for McDonnell Douglas trying to reverse engineer UFO propulsion systems? Yeah. Or uh, uh, it, might, it may have been someone else who said it. It's either science should embrace this or step aside and say, we can't do it. We need something else to come along. We're not yeah. capable. We're too dependent on our federal funding and we're afraid. 
We're afraid of the con because listen, I've run Robert, I've run into university people before who were interested in some of these topics. And I said, look, I'm I am I'm from a university. Why don't we put something together, a conference or something? And we could they said, no, no, it would never, it's too controversial. So if wow. we're gonna avoid controversy, we are not gonna grow and we're gonna have a Sputnik moment, as Hal Putoff called it. Sputnik moment is where you wake up one evening or from your nap and you see Sputnik going overhead and you realize they've got technology that you're years behind. At one point, the Soviet Union was years ahead of the US. It's hard to believe it now, right? In electronics. This is why they could get Sputnik up there. They were ahead in electronics and because of political infighting and paranoia, that Soviet system destroyed itself, even though at one time they were ahead. And I'll tell you, they're still ahead in cold fusion Lenner research. Their, their Lenner and cold fusion research is top notch. But it takes a willingness for people to talk about this openly. I, I know I'm saying a lot here, but you're, you're asking very good questions. I once posted on one of the cold fusion websites, ECAT World, that looks at Andrea Rossi's uh, ECAT device, which is one of the Lenner cold fusion devices out there that you know claims to produce over unity energy and um i i used to read the site and i they posted one of my videos from youtube about how i thought cold fusion worked was kind of like this vortices spinning around vortex action and it's something like that but it's more a magneto i know more about it now it's more of a magnetic vortex it's not physically spinning but it's spinning energetically and someone commented there saying uh, you should be very careful. I forgot the chap that runs the site. Uh, you should be very careful because Simeon's interested in UFOs. And it, it, it's like, excuse me, what? You know, I'm making this video about one topic. You're that's an ad hominem attack. If you're interested in this, and we find you're interested in something else that suspect, uh, maybe like meteorites, or something else that we now all accept, uh, superconductivity or any of these, a uh, plate tectonics was another one where people were ridiculed and just uh, black holes. No one believed in that. Okay, so this guy that ran, runs ECAT World, I really respected him for this. He said, I don't care what Simeon's other videos are about. This by itself is a good video about the mechanism of cold fusion. I'm keeping it on the site. And this is what we're dealing with. People are so concerned of, what other people are going to think about them and the criticism they could get. They're afraid to look at evidence. And that means we're right back 200 years ago to the meteorite people, Kaladny and Bio from France, French scientists who bucked the trend and said, screw you, French Academy of Sciences. We think meteorites are real. And look who won. They won. The entire, every, Robert, every meteorite in every museum in Europe was thrown away. It started in France and then Germany and England also threw away their meteorites because they determined, they said they are a hoax. And they were thrown in the garbage, except one huge one, they couldn't move. It was too big, somewhere in, in France. So we liked, again, going back to the beginning of our interview, we like to think we're like very modern. We've got all this immediate instantaneous communication, but if we don't have a willingness to take a risk here and go beyond the norms, we're no different than the meteorite argument. We know who's going to win this one. The meteorites win. The meteorites win. You're going to take some heat in the meantime from ordinary sort of more conformist type people who don't, are afraid to buck the trend a little bit. But if we were afraid to buck the trend, we wouldn't have companies like 
Apple or Microsoft, both of whom were college dropouts, both who founders of Apple and Microsoft were college dropouts who had a vision beyond IBM. They had yeah. a vision beyond huge mainframes that cost a zillion dollars. My first PC was an IBM. I knew how expensive they were. You could only use their stuff in, in their way. And you had two companies come along with a different vision. And this is why we live in this modern electronic age because of two visionary people. If we're afraid to be visionary, we might as well just shut up the shop right now and go home. And that's not the type of people we are. We take risks and we wanna know what's going on because it's, it's worth it to take the risks because we really wanna know what reality we're living in. Exactly. And that's why we have podcasts like yours and many others. And so thank you, Robert, thank you. Oh, no, this was amazing. I want to thank you for doing this. I, I wish I wanted you to be able to tell people where to find your YouTube, where to find your books, where to find your website, all that stuff. Sure. Thanks. Well, Dark Matter Monsters and Opening Minds, Black Swan Ghosts, and my other book, even from a long time ago, Planetary Intelligence, you know, about resonance with the planet. Uh, that's You can find them all at newcrystalmind.com. That's my blog, newcrystalmind.com. Of course, all these books are available on Amazon too. You can get it either way, but if you order it from me, I will sign them for you. I will literally sign them and send it off to you. Uh, the Amazons are more print on demand and they have stocks of them too. So you can go to New Crystal Mind. You can go to my YouTube channel. What's your YouTube channel? Just Simeon Hine? Simeon Hine or Fractal Friend, either way, one word. And if you, if you can send Twitter. me the links, I'll put them in the description of the Thanks. video. I'll Appreciate probably upload it later today. Yeah. Uh, and finally, I do teach remote resonant viewing classes. You can go to resonantviewing.org, resonantviewing.org. And there's even free mini classes. You don't even have to pay any money. I put together some videos with basic instruction that you can just try out to see if it's for you or not. So those are different ways to uh, contact me. Yeah. Well, Thanks. Uh, that's so cool. Uh, well, thank you so much for doing this. This was awesome. I, I love your thank outlook you. on things. And I think hopefully in the future, we have more people like you looking for the evidence. And we'll, I think if we do that, we will get to it. Yeah, I, 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 I'm totally with you there, Robert. This is all evidence-based stuff. And the evidence is piling up. Yeah. Okay. And at some point, we're going to reach a threshold where people are not afraid to come forward anymore. We've already seen in our lifetime attitudes change in the United States towards people's different lifestyles and people being who they want to be without, you know, being legally uh, disadvantaged for being who they want to be. The same thing will eventually move over to the supernatural paranormal witnesses. And we will have many more witnesses come forward and we can look at all the evidence and really decide what's going on. So, yeah, well, thank, thank you so much. And uh, we'll have to do this again. Have a good thank Thank you. Okay. Thanks a lot, Robert. We'll talk right, again I'll talk soon. To okay? you soon. Right. Okay, bye.